name of Jesus. Isn't it awesome to serve a God who makes all things new? Hallelujah. You serve an amazing God. Glory to his name. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, when you got it, say so, and it says here, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had, had taken him, for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free, God, and we thank you for the amazing grace that you have shown us. And we just pray, Spirit of God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church today, Lord God. We pray in these next few moments, Lord God, that you would speak to us and not only speak to us, but God. God, empower us to live for your glory and for your honor, Lord God, to be people like Abel, Lord God, and like Enoch, dear Lord, those who live their lives by faith in you and brought glory and honor to your name, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are beginning a new series. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand. If you don't have an outline, we want to make sure that everyone gets an outline. If you don't have one, we want to be, make sure that you're able to take notes. And for those of you that don't know, we do have our connect groups. And this week, they will start meeting again on Tuesday and getting together. And we'll be discussing our um, sermon notes. And so that's the reason why we hand these out, so that way you're able to take notes. And hopefully, you'll keep those notes, review those notes, go over the sermon again through our podcast or some some form like that, and then you'll be able to refresh your memory. But as always, the most important thing for me is not just that you go over the notes again, but that you also read and meditate upon the scriptures that are being preached from. And so Connect is a place for us to get together and for us to discuss the scriptures, to encourage, to challenge each other's faith. And so that's what we want to do. So if you are not part of a Connect group, please see Pastor Chad. And so we are in a new series, and it is called It's Time for Revision. The reason why we are doing this is because everyone in the new year, at least most everyone in the new year, traditionally, we set some kind of New Year's resolutions. And so we decide that we're going to do some things. You know, we may decide that we're going to start working out or we're going to start waking up early and praying or we're going to start reading our Bible or we're going to start eating healthy. Hello, somebody. Glory to God, especially coming out of the holidays when you did not eat healthy. I am sure you did not unless you have extreme self-control or don't know how to cook. 
or no, no one that doesn't know how to cook, one of, the two, one of those three. But other than that, you weren't eating right. So you come into the new year and you're like, okay, you have all these New Year's resolutions. And so one of the things that I think that is so important for us is we should definitely make some New Year's resolutions. I think that that's important. I think that we should make some commitments and some things that we're going to start and do in this new year. But there's something that should happen to our lives as well. And we should have this thing called re, you know, a revision in our life where we look over things. Whenever you revise something, what you do is you'll look over over that particular thing if it's a document and after you write the document out and I can tell you from experience I've written a lot of documents over the last 12 years and when I go back and I read the documents again I'll notice certain things that were incorrect maybe grammatically or things that have changed in the way that I think about the music ministry for example we have this pretty lengthy you know booklet that is in there and as I read through it I'm like okay I don't know if I necessarily agree with that or I necessarily think that that's necessary to be there and so we do something you know we you know, we revise things, and so we have this revision. And so, I want to talk to you about revision and revisioning. And I, and, and I thought I was going to use the word refocus, but here's the thing as you can see, I wear glasses. Typically, I don't wear glasses, but I'm still waiting on my contacts to come in. But the point is, every year I have to go and do what? I have to go and get my eyes checked. And so, when I go in there and get my eyes checked, I sit behind this thing, and the doctor sits down and he, you know, he puts this stuff. For those of you that wear glasses, you know what I'm talking about. He sits down, he puts this on there, he puts it at where your prescription was the last time you were there, and then he starts turning and twisting, and he's like, Do you like better one or two? And then for me, I get nervous like on one or two because I'm like, really, I just want to make sure I'm right because I'm not. If I get it wrong, then I'm going to be walking around for a year with a messed up prescription, right? Like, well, I guess it could have been one maybe or whatever. So the point is what happens is while I'm sitting in that chair, I am being able to, he's refocusing my eyes, right? But you know what happens? As soon as he moves that away, guess what? I go back to being blind. I'm just saying right? It's not like I walked away with that. And even when I put on these glasses, but see, there's something that God can do. God can restore your vision. He can, he, he doesn't just give you an ability to refocus. So you're sitting here today and you're going to hopefully re refocus on some things and see some things from a different perspective. But God doesn't want you to just see things from a different perspective while you're sitting here in the church or in the building. But what he wants you to do is he wants to change your heart as you're looking at his word. And he wants to give you a revision. He wants to enable you to see things from his perspective. He wants to enable you to see things from where he's seated. He wants you to be able to see things from his heart when you're dealing with people. And so that's my prayer. And that has been my prayer is that we would really have a revision of heart. And so today we're going to be going, we're going to start in this series. And if you look down in your outline and as we enter into this new year, it is easy to become overly consumed by our failed resolutions of last year or our new resolutions for this year. Yet it would be great if there was one thing we could focus upon that would ensure we continue moving in the right direction. So the question is, is there a such thing? Is there one thing that we can be focused on? Is there one thing that we can have in front of our hearts, in front of our minds continually that will enable us to move in the right direction? And the right direction is closer to God. The right direction is to bring him glory and to bring him honor. And so is there one thing that I can focus on that will make sure that all of my life is going to do what? Is going to honor him. And I believe that that one thing is found here in verse 6. And the reason why I say that is because verse 6, for those of you that don't 
know, and for those of you that have been through the vision carrier class, I hope that you know this, but in verse 6 is our scripture, and that is the scripture that is the vision of Faith Doma Fellowship. That is where the vision came from. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I told you that I was going to give you 12 memory verses for this year so you can start memorizing verses. That is your first memory verse, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So I got a head start because I memorized it 12 years ago. But nonetheless... For you, I want you to get that, that, that scripture memory verse down in your heart. There are many other verses in the New Testament that speak of us pleasing God. But this particular verse, God speaks here to us about us being able to please him by faith. And what we look at, and you can look at your outline again, in this portion of scripture, we find God acknowledging the faith of two Old Testament biblical characters who earned a similar testimony that by faith they pleased God, one with an acceptable sacrifice and the other with an apparent walk that demonstrated faith. So the reason why this is important, if you go through all of Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to find a bunch more people that are in there, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, you know, Samson, different people that are in there who please God by faith, different people who are in there who were living their lives by faith. And so when we stop here, what we find is this. If you look at all of these people, they have one thing in common, it's faith, but the way that their lives were mentioned in the Bible are different. When you look at Abel in this particular portion of scripture, you find that it was a sacrifice that differentiated him from his brother Cain. And so Cain brought a sacrifice and Abel brought a sacrifice and one of them was accepted and the other one was rejected. And the reason why the scriptures give us is because one of them did it by faith. Now, think about this for a moment. They both came to God the same way. They both came not, you know, or, or the way when we look at the story, they both brought a sacrifice from where they were working or what they were doing and one of them was acceptable. And so one of their faith was right, the other one was wrong. Well, when we go backwards, we can't really know for certain. But here's what we do know is this, is that our God is a just God. Amen? And what that means is that our God is not just going to say, hey, you know what? I accept Jason and I reject Jose. God's not just going to say that just for no reason. There's going to be a reason why God would say that. And because I believe God is just, and what I'm going to understand is that there was some standard that was there because when you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, what you will find there is you find this, or chapter 4, you find there that God says to Cain, you know what is right. And so somewhere between chapter 3 and somewhere between chapter 4, there was some kind of conversation that was had that Cain knew what was acceptable to God. And yet he chose to give what he decided instead of what God desired. You see, and Abel comes to God and he does something else. He gives God what God desires because he knows. And when we talk about walking by faith, listen, walking by faith is not just walking in an, in an arena that we don't see anything and we just, you know, don't know what's there and we just kind of take steps and hope that they're in the right direction. When God calls us to walk by faith, he gives us clear direction. He shows us how to live for his glory and for his honor. And so the way that I live by faith, the way that you live by faith is not by feelings, but it is by knowing what God says and then you trusting that if God said to do this, that he is going to be there to support you as you obey him. 
You see, I don't have to wait until after an action, and I, and I love to use the example of marriage. I don't have to wait until um, I love my wife to see if God is going to be happy with that. I know this. God tells me, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Therefore, any act that is purely loving towards my wife is what? It's acceptable to God the Father. So I don't have to pick and choose or, you know, try to figure out what pleases God. I know what pleases God. For the young people that are in this place, when you honor your mother and your father, guess what? You don't have to question, is God pleased with me? You know that God is pleased with your action because it is that, that God who commanded us to do that. The same thing for us in our work scenarios. When we are working for the glory and the honor of Jesus and we are being responsible, we don't have to question, is God pleased with what I'm doing? We know that he's pleased because that is how I live out my faith. See, God gives, gives us a lot of, of, of information for us to build our faith on. But here's the thing. We, go, we say all that, but then we look at this other guy by the name of Enoch. So Abel, he has this sacrifice. But when you read the whole story of Enoch, it's really short, but it's really impressive. Because it simply says, talks about him being born, and then it says, and he walked with God and he was no more. That's what it says in the Old Testament when you go to the book of Genesis. It says this guy walked with God and he was no more. That, that's what it says about him. It doesn't say anything else. And so what we realize is that God wants us to all live by faith in him. To live for one thing and one thing alone, and that is to please him. And so my hope, and your outline says this in this series, is to speak of one thing or one motivation that will lead to four commitments of a disciple of Jesus, but also a life that is entirely motivated by the grace of God demonstrated on the cross. Our motivation should be to please God. Say, please God. Our motivation should be to please God. That should be the filter that all of our lives, thoughts, decisions, attitudes, desires, and actions are run through. I'll say that again. Our motivation should be to please God. That should be the filter that our lives' thoughts, decisions, attitudes, desires, and actions are run through. Now, here's the one thing that I think if we live our lives for this, if you live every moment of your life with this one question in front of you, I promise you, you will live for the rest of your days for the glory and honor of Jesus. Is what I'm doing pleasing God? The conversations that I'm having, if you ask this one thing, the, the, one, the, the, the one New Year's resolution that I would encourage everyone to have, and my prayer is that you would make one commitment, and it is this, that you will commit to please God in all things for the rest of this year. And not just the rest of this year, but for the rest of your life. But if you will commit to that one thing, if you will commit to that one single solitary thing, you will keep moving in the right direction. Think about it this way. And, this, and, and for some of you, this may seem kind of legalistic. But think about this. When you sit down and you're getting ready to order your food after church today, hello, somebody. You go to that restaurant and you sit down and you open up that menu. How about if you just thought for a moment, is what I'm about to order going to please the Lord? Right? Think about that. Well, you know, maybe, maybe the portion that you're going to eat. Maybe that. Maybe, can, can we get with the portion? I'm just saying, right? Because, you know, some people, yes, Pastor, we know, we, know, we know that you have not made that resolution. But anyway, ultimately, right, we're not going to condemn any kind of food. But what about the portion that you eat? Instead of sitting there and just eating until your stomach can't handle it anymore, right? I mean, gluttony is a sin, amen? I'm just saying, right? Right? I'm not saying a double portion is, you know, go back for seconds if you're still hungry, amen, I'm just saying. 
But the whole thing is, if you sat down and you thought about that, if you thought about the way that I'm about to speak to my child, does this please the Lord? The way that I'm about to treat my husband or my wife, does this please the Lord? The way that I'm acting, my attitude at work, does this please the Lord? You see, if I run all of my life through that filter, then you know what happens is then I am constantly mindful of the one who provided me all things that are good. I'm constantly mindful of him, and I'm thinking about bringing glory and honor to him and everything. And if it doesn't please him, then you know what that means? That means that I shouldn't be doing it. And I'm about to go to that movie. I know. I know you want to see that movie. I know. I know you were sucked in when you saw the trailer of it. I know. I know. It just drew you in. You're like, man, I got to see that. But it's, uh uh-huh. I I, I was grateful. I I, I was excited the other day. Um, Sister Anna, she was sending me an email, and I don't remember what the show was, but she she sent me an email, and she's like, you know, I was sitting down, and I was watching this show that I really like, and I don't know how, I don't remember the exact, you know, way she said it, but the point was this, is she said, and, and when I started to watch this show that I had recorded, she was like... I realized I can't watch this. And I'm like, man, the Lord, you're taking everything away from me. <laughs> right? Is it, you know, and so, but what I see, I was encouraged. I was like, praise God. What God is doing is he's sanctifying, right? He's separating her for his glory. He should be doing the same thing. Listen, there should come a point. It shouldn't be, you see, you know what's sad about some of us as Christians? Some of us go in the opposite direction, right? Let me just go on this rabbit trail right quick, and we'll come back to the sermon here. But some of us go on this, we, we, go, we go this way. We start off really, really holy, like we won't do anything ungodly. And then as we get more mature in Christ, we feel like, hey, I can do more ungodly stuff because I'm stronger in my faith. Well, you know, I'm stronger now. You know, I've been a Christian for a few years, so I can handle. No, you can't. That's called compromise. We should be going in the right direction, and we should be questioning at all times, does this please the Lord? Does this please the Lord? Is this something that is acceptable to him? Turn your Bibles with you really quickly to the book of Matthew. And we're going to stay there because this every, every week we say this, um, four things. We say it every week that we're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to reaching others. We're committed to serving, right, on behalf of We don't say that part. That We need to do that one. But here's the thing. We say that every week, right? Every week someone gets up here, no matter who it is, if it's Kids Dome service, whoever's service it is, whoever's up here exhorting us, they always remind us of that. And that is for a reason because that is the way that we live out this desire to please God. We believe that loving God pleases God. Amen? We believe that growing together pleases God. Amen? We believe that serving pleases God. Amen? We believe that reaching others pleases God. And so that is the reason why we go through that every week because we are praying that you will be encouraged and reminded of these commitments as a disciple of Jesus. Now turn back and look at the door real quick. Look at the door. Look at the door. Back at the door. Look at the top of the door. You see that thing there? What does it say right there? Okay, how many of you, by a show of hands real quick, how many of you even notice that's there? Raise your hand. Okay, so you know why that's up there? You know why we put that there before in the other building that we were at? That was actually on the sidewall, and there was some banners that were under it. And the reason why I didn't just throw that away and I put that there is because my hope is that subconsciously somehow that as you walk out of those doors every week when you leave here on Sunday, that you will be reminded, I'm committed to something. 
I'm committed to loving God. I'm committed to growing together. I'm committed to reaching others. See, when I see that, something should happen. And that's our prayer is that we would realize these things. And so the one thing that is there is if we're going to please God, it is by us being his disciples. And the first thing that is so important for a disciple of Jesus is that we love God. And so Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34, we'll start reading there. When you got it, say so. And it says here, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and the he here is Jesus, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what should be the baseline of our lives, the most highest aim for our lives is what? It is that we are pleasing to God. And when I say pleasing to God, I want to say this because I don't want you to get confused. When I say pleasing God, I don't mean earning something from God. Are you here? Because we can get it twisted. We can think, well, you know what? If I'm pleasing to God, then I have somehow earned something from him. No, no, no. God has all, every blessing, all of it is already there. When we walk in an acceptable way to him, we experience his blessings overflowing into our lives. It's not that I earned anything because God earned it all on the cross. Jesus died in our place to secure every blessing, to secure our position, to secure our salvation, to secure our lives in him. And so it is very important that we remember that. And so when we're looking at this idea of us pleasing him, the first way that I believe that it happens is by us being committed to loving God. And so repeat this after me. The first commitment and being a disciple is love motivated by love. The first commitment in being a disciple is love motivated by love. And so when you look at this particular portion of scripture, you'll find here that they were trying to trip Jesus up. They asked, they asked him questions about the, the taxes that needed to be paid. They asked him questions about the resurrection and marriage. And then they come, and after he had already silenced everyone, they come and they ask him a question that was one that they for sure knew that was going to stump Jesus. And so they knew, you know what, we're going to come and ask him this question, and this is going to trip him up. And here's the thing. These religious leaders were so concerned with tripping Jesus up that they missed the most important lessons. They missed the most important lessons. But can I tell you something? Many of us fall into that same category because we are so concerned with being correct, we're not as concerned with walking in the truth. See, sometimes we want to be right because we were raised a certain way, and so if I was raised that way, that must be how it's supposed to be. Give you an example. How many of y'all have heard, you can't go into the pool until 30 minutes after you eat? Raise your hand. Come on, keep it up. Put it up there. Now, put it down. How many of y'all believe that is true? How many of you how many have no idea? You're like, I don't know if that's true or not. Listen, I don't know if it's true either. I just told my daughter that because I was told that, right? But somebody who was a nurse said that that's not true, right? But listen, we'll grow up telling our children stuff and telling people things because what? Because I was raised that way. 
And so we need to think about this for a moment because it becomes the same stuff with us in our Christian walk. Sometimes we feel something needs to be this way because this is how I was raised in church. This is how they did it, where I came from, or, you know, when I was growing up, this is the way that I saw it. And so all of a sudden, we can gain these mindsets and these wrong perspectives, and we're not even concerned with the truth of the scriptures. We're more concerned with our tradition. We're more concerned with what we think is right. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and these people who were experts in the law, they were missing the greatest lessons of Jesus. And so when they come in with this question, this question is one that is of monumental importance. And the reason why it's so important is because this was not a new question. This was something that they had been discussing and debating for centuries because what had happened was they had broken down the experts in the law. They had broken down the law into 613 commandments. There was one for each letter of the Ten Commandments, 613 commandments. So you know what? They read the law. They found 613 commandments. And what they did was they broke those 613 commandments up into 248 positive ones and 365 negative ones. So in total, there were 613 commandments. They had 248 that were positive, 365 that were negative, And they did something else. They broke them up into heavy things or weighty things or important things to things that were not as weighty, things that were not as important. And the reason they did that was because they were like, man, nobody can keep 613 laws. Nobody can even keep, you know, the halves if the negatives or the positives. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you some heavy things, some things that are really important. So you know what you can do? You can focus on what's really, really important. And the stuff that's not so important, well, you know, you get a pass on that. Here's the problem. The problem is if you break one law, heavy or light, guess what you did? You showed yourself that you need a savior. And God is holy, heavy or light. Hello. All the way around. And so what happens is they come in with this question and they're like, look, can you just answer this question for us? Because we've been debating this for a long time and we definitely know this is going to trip you up and we're going to see which side you're going to be on. And so what Jesus does is he answers them from something called the Shema, which was the daily prayer that every Orthodox Jew would pray. And every one of them would pray this. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's something that they would pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And then they would go into this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, through all thy soul, all thy strength. And what Jesus does is he says, you know what? The thing that you guys pray every day, that's where the most important law is. The thing that you pray every day, the thing that you communicate every day, that is where the most important thing is within the law. And here's the thing. He uses the very scriptures and commands of God from the Old Testament to answer their question. You and I must realize that God has never been interested in lip service, external actions, or ceremonial commitments, but a heart that is motivated to worship God by the love of God toward us that will in turn motivate our love for God. What God wants to do is he wants our hearts to be overwhelmed by his love for us that will motivate our worship. And when I say worship, I don't mean songs. We many times confuse worship with other things, like it's only when we sing, like we had a good time in worship. Yeah, we had a good time in worship, but can I tell you something? Your worship didn't start, I hope it didn't start, at 10.30, and it shouldn't end at 11.15 whenever we finish singing. Your worship should continue. Like right now, when you are focused and engaged, you are worshiping God with your ears, with your heart, because you are submitting them to the Lord, hearing his word being preached. See, that's an act of worship. You'll continue to worship when you give your tithes and your offering. That's a continual 
act of worship. When you leave here today and you are courteous to someone, that is an act of worship because you are honoring God in that. When you deal with your spouse in a godly way, you will either be worshiping God or worshiping yourself. When you, when you deal with your children the way that God expects, you are dealing in an area of worship. But here's the thing. My motivation to worship God and to be courteous, you know, through being courteous or through loving my wife or through dealing with my children or through being an example as an employee, it isn't because of the accolade that I get from this earth. The motivation for that is what? It is that I have been overwhelmed by the love of God. And because my heart has been overwhelmed by his love, I want to do what? I want to love him in return. I want to honor him in return. And so out of the revelation of his love that comes through the understanding of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, out of that, I begin to worship. Out of that, I begin to adore him. And so I do what? I am focused on one thing, and that is pleasing him. And the motivation for that desire to please him isn't because I'm trying to earn something from him. Because, see, here goes that mindset again. I'm going to please God so I can somehow earn something from him. Listen, you already have everything that God wants for you to have. All you have to do, all I have to do is walk in it. I just have to walk in obedience. I have to walk in a God-honoring and a God-fearing scenario in my life with God, and I will experience everything that God has for me to experience. And so we are, we are supposed to be motivated by this love of God toward us. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, loving God is demonstrated with our whole being. Loving God is demonstrated with our whole being. See, one thing that we've done in our, in our culture and in our days is we have watered down the word, the word I love you. Or the word love. We've, we've watered down a few words like the word awesome. Like when you think of awesome, like we say ice cream is awesome or some restaurant was awesome. The only one that's awesome is God. Hello. He's the only one that's awesome. There's no one, there is no thing that is really awesome, but we're always like awesome, awesome. So awesome doesn't have the weight that it should have. The same thing goes with love, you know, I love this, I love that, I love my car, I love my stereo, I love that gift, I love this, you know, we love, 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 but we water down that word, and you know, it's, it's sad because in English there's really like, you know, one word, you know, for love, you know, you're talking in Spanish or other languages, you know, there's different ways that you can phrase love, so it breaks it up a little bit better. But in English, when we say that I love you, right, like, you know, I love you, you know, it's like, you know, in Spanish, you would say to someone, like, you know, te quiero, right? Like, ah, oh, you know, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> but when you say, te amo, right, it's like, you know, there's that, that deeper, like, I mean that deep, you know, like, and so when you're, when you're communicating to, you know, nowadays, you know, you say I love, and so when you, it's easy to say, you know, I love God, it's, you know, it's easy to say that verbally. But it's not easy to demonstrate that biblically. Because when he says to love the Lord your God, he didn't, he didn't even say with your lips. He didn't say that. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? He, he communicates with this inner being. And so he's asking you to love God with that. Why? Because God is never again. He was never concerned with external service. He's concerned with our heart condition. 
He's concerned with the condition of our hearts. And so loving God is demonstrated with, 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 with our whole being, with everything. It's easy to say that we, love, that, that, we, that, that we love something because we water this down. But when we say we love God, there should be some clear evidence. Now think about natural relationships. Whenever we look at a relationship, you see a husband and a wife, and you see him do certain things. Like, for example, you see a guy that goes and he opens, his, he opens the door for his wife you know, as she's getting in the car. And we think, man, what a gentleman. You know, he probably cares about her, opens a door for her. You know, what a gentleman. He probably cares about her. You know, he does certain things that demonstrate that he loves, right? And we think, oh, well, he loves. Well, what about, what about this, though? What about the person who never learned that that's the way that you show love? Can a person love someone and not do all that? I, I would say yes, Right? Because what? Because they weren't educated. They didn't realize that it's supposed to look a certain way. It's the same thing with God. That's why I, that's why I went down that bunny trail the other day, I mean, just a couple of minutes ago. Because what? Because we came to Jesus. We were overwhelmed by his love. We were willing to let go of everything for him. And all of a sudden, a couple of years come by, and you start to look at other people who don't want to let stuff go. And so you're like, man, well, if they ain't got to let it go, they seem to love God, so I can hold on to that stuff too. Instead of being those people who realize that the Bible communicates some stuff to us. And so there should be some visible realities of our love for God. When I love God with all of my heart, that means that all of my heart is devoted to him. When I love God with all of my soul, with all of my mind, that means all of my inner being. That means that all of my energy, all of my strength, and another portion of scripture, everything is focused on loving him. And see, the whole point is when Jesus communicates this from what was written in the Old Testament, it wasn't so that way we would not try to break this down between heart, soul, body, all that. No, it was to show you that all of your being is consumed in loving God. That God doesn't accept half-hearted commitments to him. You want to know why? Because he didn't make a half-hearted commitment to you. He doesn't accept, you know, halfway because let me tell you something, Jesus didn't do the cross halfway. You, me, every one of us, filthy, wretched sinners by birth, by decision, all of us separated from God 100%, going to hell no matter what. Because of what? Because we cannot save ourselves. Because we cannot earn a right standing with God. I just told you those 613 laws. How many of y'all could, could make sure you obeyed 613 laws? I'm just saying. Some of us couldn't even be faithful with 10, you know, the 10 commandments. I'm just saying, right? If we went through those, we couldn't be faithful with those 10. But here's the thing. Because of that, we are separated from God. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and died in our place. He died for us. He gave everything. He who was God came in the flesh. We'll be dealing with this in February when we go through the, um, the gospel of John. But he comes into this earth, becomes flesh for us, and does what? Lives a perfect life, fulfills all of the law. He lives perfectly. He is unjustly persecuted, unjustly crucified, and he suffered in our place. And he didn't in the middle, in, in middle of the thing say, I'm done. I've done enough. He didn't say that. I mean, I'm just saying, like, after I got whooped, I mean, y'all have seen The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Rent it. Look at, watch the beating. It's probably one of the most amazing graphic pictures of what the beating Jesus took was. I'm going to tell you what. After I got whooped on that post, I'd be like, we're good. All right, Father, I, I, I received the, 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 the chastisement and all. I'm good. Do we, do we have to go any further than this? That was enough, in my opinion. But Jesus didn't stop there. 
He carried that cross all the way up to that hill. And that way he could do what? So that way he could suffer completely and fully in our place. So that way we would not have to suffer in hell. So that way we would not have to suffer away from God for all of eternity. But that we could repent of our sin and that we could put our faith in Jesus. And then be granted new life, given a new identity, no longer known by that old name. Like the song we were singing, I'm not going back, but I'm moving ahead, right? I'm not going back to those old ways because of what? Because I have been given a new life because of the life that was given for me. And so Jesus dies, but he doesn't end it there. He rises from the dead to show us, not only does he give us a promise of salvation through the sacrifice, but he shows us that he is powerful and able to keep us eternally. He is able to keep us until the end of our days on this earth. And all we have to do is put our faith. Remember Abel and Enoch? Put our faith in him. Trust him. Repent of our sin. And he gives us this new life. But see, that's what it means for us to have a wholehearted devotion. And see, I won't be wholeheartedly devoted to God and loving him if I am not overwhelmed by the love of God. If I am not overwhelmed by this beauty and the glory of the gospel, our love for God is demonstrated by all of our being engaging in obedience. God is not satisfied with half-hearted love because he demonstrated wholehearted love for us on the cross. Third thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, love must... Be our foundational motive in pleasing the Lord. Love must be our foundational motive in pleasing the Lord. And so the first thing is that the first commitment in being a disciple is love motivated by love. The second thing is loving God is demonstrated with our whole being. And the third thing is love must be our foundational motive in pleasing the Lord. The foundational reason why I want to please God, again, it's not because I want to earn something from him. It's because I realize that he earned everything for me. The foundational reason why I want to please the Lord is not because I'm trying to impress people around me or I'm trying to be the holiest guy in my neighborhood or the holiest guy on the block or the holiest guy in the church, but the reason why I am trying to please the Lord, the reason why I am studying his word, the reason why I'm devoting myself to seeking him in prayer, the reason why I'm saying no to sin and even the things I desire, there has got to be this question that comes up inside of your heart and my heart. Why am am I doing what I'm doing and why am I saying no to what I'm saying no saying no to is it really because of the love of God or is there some other motive the motive for my obedience the motive for me wanting to please the Lord has to be in the fact that I want to do what that I want to please him because I love him because he loves me Jesus said this at the end of this verse here, and when we look at um, chapter, chapter, 20, ch- chapter 22, verses 34, we see in the beginning there, and I'm going to read it again with you, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, and again, it goes back to the point earlier, they missed the greatest revelation, they missed the greatest teaching, because they were so concerned with testing him that they never got the truth from him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, and he communicates this, and Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And so again, loving God is holistic. This is the first and great commandment. So the most important commandment is this, because everything else is going to flow out of this. 
And he says the second is like it, and we'll deal with this a little bit more next week. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of us growing together. But he says this in verse 40. He says, on these two commandments, say on these two commandments. Hang all the law. Say hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments. And so the way that I like to envision this is it's like, you know, I, and I, I think I shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again. It's probably been a long time. But when I, I remember one time my wife in our, in, our, in, our, in our formal dining room, she purchased this big, big mirror. And the mirror was probably about as big as that soundproofing thing there. And so obviously the mirror had to go on its side. So a buddy of mine, he was there with me, and we got this big heavy mirror. We brought it in the house, and I was like, okay. And so I got this real thick um, cable that was going to be able to hold the weight, and I, you know, tied it up there real good. You know, we secured it. I mean, it was secure, legit. We put it up there on the wall, and it was up there for months. And then one day, my wife and I, I think we were in the living room or something, and we heard a bang. And I was like, what just happened? Went out there, and the, 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 the thing had fallen. And I was like, man, maybe we didn't secure it well enough. So I go back, got my buddy. I was like, hey, man, we got to do this again. So got in there, got some thicker, you know, chain. It was, I mean, it was serious. Like, I, I was like, this thing is not going to fall. Hang it up there. This one only lasted a little while. I was like, man, I did this one better. Boom, they broke the mirror. So we don't have the wall. The mirror's in the garage now by itself. It's on the wall without the frame. So I inherited a mirror. That, but nonetheless, after the second time when the frame broke, I actually read the little thing on the back of the picture. And it said, do not hang this with a rope. <laughs> hang it from two points. I was like, man, what an idiot. But anyway... So, nonetheless, we lost this, right? But I always remember that when I think of this scripture because it was upon these two things that this mirror would have been held up. It's the same thing here with the law. The law of God is held up on two points. What are those two points? Love God and love others. Love God and love others. So what is he saying? What's he telling us? He's telling us. There's two points to the law. I like what one of my friends said, and I have to give him credit. He don't give me credit for quoting me, but I'm going to give credit for quoting him. Pastor Dan Holland, he'll be here one day. Again, he's real busy right now. But he said this. He said, listen, it's two commandments, and the rest is commentary. Two commandments, and the rest is commentary. What is he saying? He's saying what Jesus said. There are two things that matter above all because you can put them into two categories. It is either A, how to love God, or B, how to love your fellow man. Those two things are what matter above anything else as far as the law is concerned. That is what the law of God will lead us to do. It will lead us to what? It will lead us to love man. Look at, look at what we believe, right? We believe we, we love God, like we're committed to loving God, right? So that's the one. We're committed to growing together. That's the two. We're committed to reaching others. We're committed to serving. So you know what happens is this, is that our commitment to reaching others falls under what? It falls under our love for our fellow man because we don't want to see people go to hell. When it comes to our commitment to serving, it's, it's, it's what? And obviously it's a commitment to loving God as well because we want to represent him as his representatives. And when it comes to serving, our commitment to serve is what? It falls under the same two umbrella. I serve because God has given me gifts and I want to honor him. And secondly, I want to serve you through the gifts that God has given me. It all falls under those two things. And so what Jesus says is he's like, these are the two things that hold up my law. 
Jesus said that upon these two. And so when love is, and this is the, this is the reason why love needs to be the motivation for me pleasing the Lord. It's because when love is not the motivation of our obedience, we risk becoming legalistic or we risk becoming liberals. While love keeps us focused on pleasing God for the right reasons. See, what happens is when love is not my motivation, I risk becoming a legalist. And what is a legalist? A legalist is a person who does all the right things but does it for all the wrong reasons. And you know how you can tell you're a legalist? I'm going to tell you how you can tell. This, this is the quick test to know if you're, if, if you're a legalist. Is there joy in your service? Is there joy in your service? In other words, see, because there's some people, look, and, and straight up, some of you come from different church backgrounds, and so if this is your background, don't be offended. But there's some people in their church background, you don't shave your legs for the women. I definitely couldn't have a beard, glory to God. All right? None of that stuff. I've, I mean, I've heard testimonies of musicians that have gone to churches, and when they pulled up there, they were getting ready to play. Ozzy's shaking his head because he's probably one of them. And when they got there to play for a special, they were like, listen, you're going to play, but here's a, here's a razor. Go shave. That's a, they, they were serious. I remember one church I went to, and I didn't even know this until after the fact. I went there, and when I got there, I wasn't wearing a suit. I was a youth pastor at the time. You know, youth pastors are cool. Look at our youth minister over there, you know, looking cool, right? You know, we don't wear suits when we're youth ministers, right? We just, we dress down, you know what I'm saying? And so I came in there, and, and, I, and I, I had, you know, a pair, of pair, I had a pair of slacks on and a regular shirt, and the pastor almost didn't let me preach. But here's what I'm going to tell you about all of those folks that I just described right now. Some of them, you call them legalistic, but you know what? There's joy in their service. They're joyful because they're honoring God with their lives. And in their heart, they're doing it from the right place. Now, here's where the problem comes in. The problem comes in when I decide that I'm going to try to force you to be like me. Now, that's the problem. But see, here's the question. Is there joy in your service? Is there joy when you say no to that thing? See, because while my sister Anna, I used her earlier, so I'll keep using her right now. But, you know, there, there was, I'm sure, I'm going to speak for her right now. I am sure that while there was a little bit of like, man, I, I really wanted to watch that show. I promise you that when she obeyed the Lord, there was joy in that sacrifice. Because she knows she was honoring God and there was a peace that floods her heart. And while she couldn't watch the show that she wanted to watch because the Holy Spirit was convicting her and God was dealing with her life. Do you think that God will convict you and tell you to say no to something if he's not going to fill you with his joy or peace? But that's why the motive needs to be right. But see, but here's the other side of the motive. The other side is when, you, when you're not um, motivated by love, then you're, then you're, then you're um, potentially going to become a liberal. What is that? What it means is that you're just like, man, because there's no joy in your sacrifice, you're not going to sacrifice anything. You know how you can tell you're a, you're a liberal? When you have freedom, that's beyond freedom. Hello. You're just so free, it's ridiculous freedom. Like, you don't have to say no to anything. You can say yes to whatever, and it's all good with God. Listen, it is not all good with God. Because the same God that inspired the book of Galatians for freedom, Christ has set you free, is the same one that said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself daily. That's the same God. And so there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from the power of sin. There is not freedom to live how you want to live. But when the motive is love, what happens is you are willing to let go of everything for the one you love. See, for those of you that are married today, you know what? You met that one that you were going to marry, and you were willing to say goodbye to all the rest because you found the best. Come on now. 
Y'all can use that. Amen. I'll give it to you. <laughs> when the motive is love, you will say no to whatever because you got the best thing ever. Amen. So here's my question for you as we close this out and we in this first Sunday of the new year. Is Jesus the greatest love of your life? As the music ministry comes forward, is Jesus the greatest love of your life? If he's not, God calls you to repent. If there's something else that you love more than him, as we sing this song in worship, if there's something else that has your heart other than Jesus, my motivation and my encouragement to you is that you will lay that thing down today. Listen, the altar is open. There are leaders here that are here to pray with you. You don't necessarily need someone to pray with you. If you want to just come up here and pray as we're worshiping, as the Holy Spirit deals with you, then I encourage you to do that. But I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with us in this place, and I'm going to pray in general, and then we're just going to worship, and then Pastor Chad will come up and take up our tithes and our offerings. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, God, for your grace. We thank you so much for your might and for your forever, God. And Lord, we are humbled by your presence. We are humbled by your grace, God. We are humbled by your love toward us. And Father, it is my prayer today that our hearts would be motivated by your great love for us, God that our hearts would be motivated by you, dear God. I pray that you would search our hearts, Holy Spirit, that even as we start off in this new year, I just ask you, Lord God, that whatever is there, my God, whatever it is that does not bring glory to you, whatever it is that we may love more than you, God, that you would deal with it, that you would cut it out of our hearts, my God, that you would give us the faith to repent and trust you today, Lord God. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus for the hearts of those in this place that may not know you, God. Father, may you draw their hearts to you today. May they come to the saving knowledge of who you are. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we sing and worship, Lord God, as we lift up your name today, Holy Spirit, that you would draw hearts unto King Jesus. God, we pray this in great name.